Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so they, they say, you know, sowing and reaping is like gravity. What goes up comes down. What you sow, you reap. And so one thing that we're all in control of is how we sow. Amen. If you don't like how your life is going, if you don't like how things are coming along, you don't like what you're reaping, start sowing different. And then just keep living. You we, we, you will also reap what you sow. You got, you know, you got constant, you know, chaos in your life. So peace. When life hits you in all the wrong ways, what do you do? Where do you turn? Is your initial reaction to blame others? Or do you grumble and complain? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know if you want to move on from the things that are keeping you feeling stuck, you need to examine what you're feeding into your life. If you keep putting the same garbage in, you're going to get the same garbage out. Make a change with a lasting eternal impact and give yourself to the Lord. He wants to transform you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther, chapter 6, as he begins his message, What a Difference a Day Makes. Esther, chapter 6 and 7, I titled the chapter, What a Difference a Day Makes. For you guys that are following along, Esther had made her request to go before the king, and uh, she did so, you know, risking her own life when she went in there. The king said, sure. They had banquet number one and Esther got to banquet number one with the king and Haman. And we don't really know what happened. Right. She kind of got rather she got cold feet or or, you know, something we're going to consider tonight is maybe maybe the Lord just said, no, 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 not yet. You know, because a lot transpires between banquet number one and banquet number two. God does some things uh, to help Esther's cause in between banquet number one and banquet number two. And so this may have been providential. This may have been God's way. God may have unctioned her to, she may have got ready to go and God just didn't give her the clearance. And she said, hey, a, the next, a banquet tomorrow. One more, come back to my next banquet. You know, um, we'll see tonight what a difference that one day, just one day in between made. And let me say this up front, right? We know Esther had, she didn't rush into this thoughtlessly. What did she do? Before she went before the king, she had fasted. We're going to believe that she prayed with the fasting. Did she do this alone? No, her, all her maidens, Mordecai and all the Jews in the citadel. They all were told, hey, we need to be praying about this. We need to be fasting about this. I'm sorry. And so um, I believe God's at work. God is with her. God is at work in what's going on. And so now let's look at it. Look at Esther chapter six, starting at verse one. It says, That night, the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So God, this is providential, right? The king is up one night. He can't get to sleep. He's having some insomnia. And, you know, what a lot of people do when they can't go to sleep is they try to read something boring. I hope that's not your Bible. (laughs) I hope that's not what you do. But, you know, the the, the king basically said, bring me a boring book and read it to me. Hopefully that'll help me fall asleep. So they had these chronicles where they would, you know, they would write down the, the events of the different days. And so it just so happens that they bring in the chronicles. They're going to read it to the king while he lays there in his bed. And guess where they just so happen to pick up and read? Just so happen to pick up and read about 
The situation where the two eunuchs that were going to plot to kill the king and Mordecai foiled the plan. Mordecai, because he was a he's Mordecai is a, a, a godly man. He took action when he heard about the plot. He didn't stand still and do nothing. He moved into action. He spoke up on the situation, saved the king's life. And so would you guys agree with me that this is not just this is not just, uh, you know, this is not just a coincidence. Amen. There ain't no coincidence in the kingdom of God that many times, you know, we see things where God is like, hey, this is my hand of providence moving. Because if Esther had gone before the king the night, the day before at the banquet, the king didn't have a real warm fuzzy about Mordecai. There was there was, you know, Mordecai was just a guy out at the gates at that point. But today, right, the, today at the banquet that's going to happen this night, the king has just been reminded overnight that that dude saved my life. Now he's got a little warm fuzzy. He, he's going to feel some kind of special way about Mordecai the Jew. Just tuck that in your hat. Um, so God is starting there in this way. Uh, so again, last week, you know, Esther started to tell the king her problem. She pulled back and asked for a second banquet. Uh, it seems that everything in this chapter happens uh, in the day between banquet one and banquet two. And again, that's why I titled the message, What a Difference a Day Makes. And so by God's providence, King can't sleep. They bring in the Chronicles just so happened to read what Mordecai had done, how he had saved the king's life. Uh, now look at verses, uh, verse two, it says, and it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? So it was customary, you know, if you if you please the king, that they would bestow honor. It was actually it was an expectation. It was actually a shame that nothing had been done for the man that had saved the king's life. If you save the king's life and nothing is done, it's like saying the king's life is not important. So the king said, what was what was done? Why was he rewarded? And he finds out nothing was done. There's no no reward has been given. Now, let me say this, because I think it's important. Um, cause we're going to learn a few things tonight. We're going to learn about the providence of God, God's timing, how God's timing is just so perfect, but we're also going to learn about sowing and reaping. Everybody here sows every day. And the Bible tells us, and we'll look at it a little later that we do reap what we sow. Now on the day that Mordecai heard about the plot to kill the king and he went, he didn't do this with in his heart, a desire for a reward. He did it that day because this is what I do. Mordecai is just a guy that does the right thing. He's just a stand-up guy. And so when you're a stand-up guy, you do stand-up guy stuff day in and day out. So he didn't do it that day hoping for a reward. I want you to imagine how bitter he would have been had he, right? If you were Mordecai and you, you exposed the plot against the king in hopes that you would be honored. And what happened after he, he did that? He, he got death threats. Right. He, it was just shortly after this that, that they were hanging up things in the citadel saying we're going to smite, we're going to slaughter all the Jews. And so had he done this hoping for some reward, he'd have been, you know, surely he'd have been let down. But that wasn't the case. Mordecai did it because it was the right thing to do. And this is an interesting thing about sowing and reaping. You don't usually reap the harvest on the day you sow the seed. Amen. It takes some time. There's, there's some time that's got to transpire. You sow the seed. I think Mordecai forgot about this. He's on down the road thinking about other things. And the king is saying, hey, it just came to his attention that night. We didn't do anything for Mordecai 
God has saved my life. And so now he's going to reap. Um, the king is going to do something pretty wonderful for him. But I just want to point out, if you're a note taker, write down Galatians chapter six, verse seven, where God says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. And so they, they say, you know, sowing and reaping is like gravity. What goes up comes down. What you sow, you reap. And so one thing that we're all in control of is how we sow. Amen. If you don't like how your life is going, if you don't like how things are coming along, you don't like what you're reaping, start sowing different. And then just keep living. You we, we, you will also reap what you sow. You got, you know, you got constant, you know, chaos in your life. So peace. So peace. You, you, you can have it right. You, you will ultimately reap what you have sown. And so moving on here again, I, I believe Mordecai did this because this is just who he was. And so moving on now, look at verse four. It says, uh, so when the king said, who is in the court? Now, I'm sorry, I skipped the last part of verse three. The king's servant who attended him said nothing has been done. Verse four. So the king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. In chapter five, verse 14, when when Haman went home and he, he was so upset, he had had the he had been at the first banquet. He was feeling all good about himself, his promotions, his his, you know, his prestige. And he walked outside the banquet and there was Mordecai who wouldn't bow to him. And it just set him on fire. He was like, oh, and he went home to his friends and his wife. And he said, oh, this guy, I, I, all the guys, all, all the stuff he has going on, he can't I can't even enjoy it because that one guy won't bow to me. And they said, you know, what you should do. His wife and friends, they said, we got an idea. You should go out there and make a gallows and then go back tomorrow morning and ask the king if you can hang him on the gallows. And then tomorrow night, you can go enjoy your banquet. Have a good time. So check this out. So it, so it doesn't just so happen. Mordecai is there first thing in the morning at the, in the king's gates. But what is he there to do? He's, he's there. He's there with murder on his mind. Right. He woke up. He went. Check this out. Look, he worked the night before building a gallows to kill a man 50 feet high. I want you to think about how much effort and energy he's putting into this negativity he's doing. He, he built the gallows. He got the gallows made last night. Now he's at the king's gate first thing in the morning with murder on his mind. I want this man dead so I can enjoy my day. I just want you to think about this because some of y'all have anger and bitterness and that sort of thing with people. It takes energy. You laying up in bed thinking about it. You might even be putting forth effort. This guy put forth effort, money, time, energy, planning, talking to his wife and his raggedy friends all about how to kill a man. All that energy into something that God would say, not going to happen because that's my guy. All, all that you put into it. I mean, you are you're an important dude. You got a prominent position next to the king, blah, blah, blah. None of that matters when you, when you try to touch God's people. Y'all know that? This should encourage us that are God's people. Um, Mordecai is God's man. And even though there's all this going on against him, God's like, nah, that's, that's not my plan for Mordecai. I got something else for him. And so he's there first thing in the morning with murder on his mind. He, he's, he's standing there hoping to get able to go before the king to get permission to kill this dude early. And so that's why he's at the king's gate. So the king asks, is anybody in the, in the outer court? And in verse four again, uh, says that Haman, um, Haman was there because he wanted to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows he had, he had uh, prepared for him. Verse five, 
the, the king's servant said to him, Haman is here standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man in whom the king delights to honor? Now, when you're a prideful individual, and I want y'all to know this about pride. This is what prideful people do without even thinking. They make everything about themselves. So if you're a prideful person, somebody can be talking about what they have going on. You, you'll make everything will become about you. Somehow it'll boomerang back around. It'll be about you. Someone, someone say, man, I, I just, I'm really thinking about, you know, what I want to do something special. And this, I, I bet they think about me. I bet, that's probably for me. You know, I bet, I bet that good thought is about me. You know, oh, I saw somebody really good looking. At, I, <laughs> she's talking about me. She said she saw somebody good looking yesterday. It was probably, you know, that's what pride would do. Everything would become about you. Haman is so full of himself that he goes in before the king and the king says, Haman. What, what, what should I do? What, would you, what do you think I should do for someone that I want to bestow honor upon? And look at what it says in the second part of verse six. It says, now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? That's what he said. In his heart, he said, who, who could the king want to honor more than me? Who is better than me around here that should be honored? If you're a note taker, write down Romans chapter 12, verse three. Paul says this, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Uh, we want to be careful not to be like Haman, thinking more highly of ourselves than what we ought to think. We want to have a humble perspective on ourselves, not a not an elevated, not an inflated, uh, you know, idea about who we are and so um, but this is what's going on in Haman's heart he says man who could the king want to honor more than me verse 7 it says and Haman answered the king for the man in whom the king delights to honor now I want you to get this everything Haman says he is in it, he is convinced in his mind this is getting ready to happen for him he's writing his own Christmas list He's like, well, you, you asking me, let me tell you what you should do, King. I know exactly how you ought to honor the person that you want to give on. Let me tell you what you, look at this list of things that he comes up with. Look at verse uh, eight now. It says, let a royal robe be brought that the king has worn and a horse on which the king is written and a royal crest placed on his head. He said, he said, give me, give that guy everything. Just one step under the king. Give him the robe. That the king, he's going to look like the king on the horse that the king is written on. He's going to look like he's a king in the king's vehicle. It'd be like saying, give me the president's outfit in the president's vehicle with one of his little, you know, give me the crest. Give me something that identify me as a, a, a person of royalty. It, it, these are all the things that he's saying should be done. He says, but royal crest placed on his head. Verse nine, then let the robe, this, this robe and this horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that he might array the man in whom the king delights to honor. So he says, then king, one of your most important noble people, let them array this person. Let them dress him up. Let them put all this on this man and array him in whom the king delights. Then he said, that's not enough. That's not enough right there. We, this guy, you want to honor king. He, he needs something else. He says, then a parade, then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim, this is yelling out loud, proclaim before him 
Thus shall it be done for the man in whom the king delights to honor. And I'm telling you, as Haman got done there, he said, oh, oh man, oh, this is going to be, I mean, you, he he has to be just like, I just wrote my own Christmas list. I am getting ready to be honored before the whole world. Because remember, he really likes his honor, right? He really enjoys when he steps out, they got to bow down. And it really bothers him that this one guy won't bow. I want you to imagine the irony. And I, I, I'm convinced that God, has, if y'all don't think God has a sense of humor, I know he does. Read verse 10 with me. Look at verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe, the horse, as you have suggested, and do for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate, leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. I mean, and this once the king says it, it's done. He can't say, <laughs> he can't say nothing. So imagine this. Now Mordecai, right? Who he, he Mordecai is chilling wherever he's at. He's just doing what he does. He's getting ready to get a visit from Haman. And Haman's got to give him, array him in this robe, give him the royal crest, have him sit on the king's horse. He's got to parade him around town and yell out loud in the city square where everybody's looking all day. He's got to say, this is what the king does for the man in whom he delights. Ah, he's got to say it all. Can you imagine can you imagine what this, I mean, this is, this is God saying, oh man, before you die, fool, I'm going to have my fun with you. I mean, this is God having his way. Now, here's the irony, right? He, he's mad because this man won't honor him and he's been forced to radically honor him. I mean, he's got to parade him around and make a big deal about him. This is God saying, stop messing with my people. Don't make no mess with my people. I will clown you if you mess with my people. That's how I take it. So um, he has to do this all day long. And look at verse 11 now. <laughs> he just he is sick of the day. He says, so Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaimed him um, before him. Thus shall it be done for the man in whom the, the king delights to honor. Afterwards, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. So look, when it's done, when the day is over with, Mordecai goes back to where he's always been, at the king's gate. And, and now he's there at the king's gate, and everybody has watched all day saying, this guy's got a new position. This guy's been honored by the king. This guy is important to the king. If he wasn't important before, now everybody knows that Mordecai is important to the king. And it says that he went, so he went home and Mordecai went home probably like, man, what a great day. This is just, a, this is amazing. God is good, you know. And it says that Haman left, hung his head, and he covered his head. That, that, in that culture, that's what you do when somebody dies. I mean, he is mourning the fact that he just had to do this. And he's on his way home uh, with his head covered and he's, he's making his way home. So now look at what happened in verse uh, 13. When Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him. Now, these are the same people that gave him the counsel the day before. Right. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you would not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Now, look at this. The same people. They, where was that counsel yesterday? Where was that wisdom the day before? How y'all get all wise? Now y'all know that this, this is not going to work out for me all of a sudden today. How come y'all didn't know this day before? Y'all remember this. 
When you got things going on in your life and you got difficulty happening, Psalm 1-1, the psalmist says, Blessed, oh how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Be careful about letting everybody and anybody speak into your life and your circumstance. Everybody would say, if I was you, what I would do, nah, you not me. So that's not even, we, we're not even going to finish that discussion. You, you not me. So it don't matter what you would do if you was me, right? You, you need some friends that pray and read their Bible so they can give you biblical counsel. And or if they don't know nothing to say, they can pray for you. But uh, Haman's friends, now they're wives. And they say, oh man, this, if this guy is a Jew, brother, you in trouble. Um, and it's like, well, y'all didn't know he was a Jew yesterday. <laughs> Pretty sure I told y'all. Um, but that, that's, that's one thing, right? The other thing is this. As, you know, as connected as Haman was and as disconnected seemingly as Mordecai was, I love this Psalm 75 verse 7 says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And we got to remember that God's ultimately in charge. God, God exalts one. He puts down another. We don't have to strive we don't have to fight. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to play games to, to get ahead or to get in front. Um, if God is going to raise you up, you guys, God is going to raise you up and nothing can stop it. That's one of the that's been one of the comforting things to me as as a believer is just knowing that whatever God has for me, uh, it's not at risk. It can't be stolen. It can't be taken away. Um, it's from the Lord. If God has given you something, you can kind of walk in c- confidence in the Lord. And if something can be taken away, you know, God, it's time for that to be gone. But God is sovereign over the lives of his people. And so what that does is we don't have to become jaded. We don't have to become those that are conniving, trying to keep stuff and all, you know, doing all kind of weird things to get a position, keep a position. You just got to be in the right relationship with the Lord and then you can relax and let the Lord do what he's going to do in your life. And so. You know, Mordecai wasn't Mordecai never did anything to try to promote himself. Y'all know y'all notice that he never said, promote me, make me great. Mordecai was concerned about saving the Jewish people and how his how his how how his cousin Esther, who he raised like a daughter. He was concerned about her well-being and how she was doing. But as he just was the man of God that he was, God said, I'll make sure this brother gets honored. I'm going to make the king is going to have a bad night. I'm going to bring to his remembrance what Mordecai did for him. Mordecai is going to be honored because God did that in his life. And with all that Haman did to try to connive and buy the king and everything else, it's all going to come down on him because we all do reap what we have sown. And so now let's let's move forward from here. A a couple thoughts um, before we move into chapter seven is Haman went out to proclaim his worst enemy as the man in whom the king delighted to honor. So this my, his, his arch enemy, the guy he hates his guts and God has made him all day proclaim the honor of this man. Pride certainly went before destruction in him. And uh, one of the books I was reading on this, it, just, it, it dropped this reminder, a little gospel reminder right here. It says, in, it said in the same day, I'm sorry, in our day, there's a man in whom the king delights to honor. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, before whom the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we read this story and we see this this man that that God, you know, the king delighted to honor this man and and bring him forth. God, just just a little reminder here that for you and me, 
This is Jesus, right? Jesus is the one that God delights to honor. And the greatest use of my life and your life is, is to bring shine and, and glory and amplification and magnification to the person of Jesus Christ. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us here today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of Esther. Esther is known for being Queen of Susa, but her story doesn't start that way. She finds herself in all kinds of uncomfortable scenarios on her way to the throne, where she would eventually become the picture of a faithful servant of God. If getting out of your comfort zone is the way to success, then Esther wrote the book. How are you getting out of your comfort zone to improve your relationship with God and overcome the worldly sins that are all around you? There will always be seasons of life where the pain and agony can't be avoided. How will you respond? Will you turn to God despite the pressures to mask your pain with the things of this world or fall into sin like so many people before? Esther and Mordecai faced the threat of an oppressive and vicious ruler over the people. Still, you and I face a spiritual threat today, and a spiritual threat requires spiritual weapons like prayer, praise, and worship, and we know just where you can find those, right here at A Transforming Word in Inglewood, California. Are you in the area? We'd love for you to come in and see us this Sunday. We meet at 9 and 11 a.m. For the rest of the information you need, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. And if you're not in the area, be sure to catch our live stream online this Sunday. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next time with a transforming word.